Good morning. morning. It is a good morning, isn't it? Fall, I think, is actually here this time. It faked us out a few weeks ago, didn't it? I don't know about you. I got real excited a few weeks ago. We had that little cold snap, and it stuck around for a few days. And I thought fall was really here. And then we got like a week and a half of 87 to 90-degree days, man. But I think maybe this time, maybe this time, fall's actually here. This morning, I am glad that you guys got out of bed on a cold, crisp morning and that you came here as Elevation Church to worship together and uh, for us to learn together because I think it's important. Uh, the series that we're in is, is called Supernatural, and it deals with the supernatural world. Over the last couple of weeks, we have talked about some pretty cool stuff. We talked about spiritual warfare and how there is more than meets the eye. There's more than we can see in this world. Like we see our physical world, but there's a spiritual world that coincides, that coexists, and we don't see it, but it affects us. Last week, Pastor Nick came up and uh, took the platform and taught us very well about a part of what goes on in that spiritual world, a part of who is in that spiritual world. He talked about angels last week. We learned some really cool stuff about angels. We're going to recap some of that in just a moment. This week, if you don't already know, you're here and we're going to talk about Satan and demons. So we're going to get into some kind of dark stuff today. And so I am glad that you're here because this dark stuff actually can impact your life. It can matter in your life, in your day-to-day, doing whatever you do, ordinary, can't see it happening, but there it is, life. And so today we're going to be equipped, and throughout this series, that's been the goal. It's been to educate and equip so that we know what's going on and we know how to deal with all of these spiritual things that happen in this supernatural world. So there's more than we can see. And what we can't see is the battle that is raging right now for people's souls. That's what's happening in the spiritual world, in the supernatural. There is a battle. In fact, there's a war. And battles are being fought all over the place, but the war has been going on for as long as we have recorded time and probably before that. And the combatants in, this, in these battles are spiritual beings. They are all angels. Let that sink in for a moment, because maybe you thought there were angels and they were the good guys dressed in white with the big white hats riding the white horses. And then there were demons and the devil, and they were all dressed in black or maybe red or whatever, and they ride the black horse and wear the black hats. But no, they're all angels. Satan and his demons are, in fact, angels, which is kind of a trip if you think about it. We think about angels as always being good. But as Nick pointed out last week, these angels had a, had a rift, and, and, and it's the beginning of the, the good versus evil way back in time. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about these combatants, the angels. And as we talk about these combatants, these angels, I want us to recap really quickly a few things that are worth noting. If you have something to write with, something to write on, you might want to jot some notes. I'm not as cool as Nick. I didn't make the outline. That is something I'm very intrigued about. He inspired me. Don't be surprised if you see outlines popping up in the near future. Just they didn't make it onto the agenda for today. So, if you have a pen, grab that. We put one on every ch- chair. There should be a, a, an elevation uh, uh, registration form or a newcomer's form there. You can write on the back of that. It's not wasting it. You can write on it and take notes. It'll be great. Some things that Nick taught us last week right out of God's Word. Angels are spiritual beings. As spiritual beings, they are eternal. 
they don't die, and they don't reproduce. They're spiritual beings. They do not die. They do not reproduce. There is a fixed number of them. He said that number is infinite. I don't know if it's infinite or not. All I know is I can't count that high. Might as well be infinite, okay? There's a lot of them. There's a whole bunch of angels. And these angels, these spiritual beings, were created. I'm going to add this from what Nick taught us last week. They were created for good. Every single one of them created for good, and God said they were good. In the account of creation in Genesis, after every day of creating, God said it was good. He saw that it was good. He said that it was good, and it was good. And so angels, we know, were created for good, and God said they were good. But God gave these good angels a free will. He gave them the, the, the ability to choose whether they would follow God or not. He's given you and I that same freedom. In all of his creation, I believe, I'm safe in saying that humans, mankind, and angels are the only ones who have the ability to decide whether or not they will worship God, they will follow God. Like trees, they follow God just by being trees, right? They can't be anything else but what they were designed to be. Animals, they're just exactly what God designed them to be. People, we can choose to follow God's design or not. We have free will. The angels have free will. And they were created by God for a number of things. Nick outlined these last week. I'm going to pop them up. If you weren't here last week, you can jot these down. Number one, angels were created to be worshipers. Angels worship God all the time, 24-7, 365. They don't sleep, eat, drink, I don't think. They just worship. Everything that they do is an act of worship. Angels are worshipers. Number two, angels are warriors. They're warriors. These are fearsome beings. They can do some serious damage. They fight God's battles. Angels are designed to be warriors. Number three, they're messengers. Angels are messengers. They deliver God's messages. They communicate on his behalf to people. They're messengers. The fourth thing, Angels are ministers. They're ministering spirits. Ministering spirits. And the fifth thing, angels are rescuers. They can rescue us out of some serious situations. And any of you who have lived life on the edge, even for a few moments, like I know a lot of us have, myself included, you might very well be here today because of angels rescuing you out of some of your own bad decisions, maybe out of circumstances and coincidences and things you didn't have any control over. But some of us have probably had angels bail us out of some bad stuff. Angels are created for all of these things. That's the truth about angels. That is the truth, as Nick taught us last week, from God's word. That's not made up. It's not any of mankind's you know, myths or, or misunderstandings. That's the truth from God's word. Now, Nick, as he taught us this last week, taught us another really cool thing, and we're going to play along again this week. If you have your Bible with you, take it out, hold it up. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay, it's cool. Practice this line with me, because you're going to use it in just a moment. It's not in the Bible. One more time. It's not in the Bible, right? We busted some myths last week about angels. You know, they're uh, uh, cute little babies with with white feathered wings, and, and there, there are dead relatives watching out over us. And, and those are just man-made myths. Those are, those are worldly legends. They're not in the Bible. 
There's a few things I want to talk about about demons and Satan that are not in the Bible that maybe some of us have, have bought into some of these myths. Let's bust a myth here. The devil is this guy in red spandex, right, with a pointy tail and, and horns and a pitchfork. And if you trust the can of ham or that really rich chocolate cake, he has like a goatee and a mustache and, you know, he's kind of doing a little dance or something, posing, right? Right? No. Guess what, people? That's, that's not in the Bible. The, the red spandex guy is not in the Bible. That's a man-made myth. You know, maybe the devil can appear to you like that. He probably can, but I don't think that's likely. I think the devil, when he comes, appears to us in many different forms. Probably none of them look like that cartoon caricature that was sitting on Tom and Jerry's shoulder whispering bad things for them to do, right? The red spandex guy. The other myth, or another myth I want to talk about, and this one is not really caricaturized or cartooned or anything like that, but it's this idea that the devil is all-knowing, that everything you think, he can like tap into your head. Like he knows where you're going to be before you're going to be there, knows what you're going to do before you do it. He knows every fear, doubt, every thought, good, bad, and otherwise. You know what? Those are attributes of God. That's an attribute of God. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows it before it's going to happen. He is omniscient. He knows all things, your thoughts, your worries, your fears. And somehow we've kind of translated the devil as kind of like the antithesis of God. Like he's got all the powers of God, but he's just the evil side. Guess what? The devil's not omniscient. It's not in the Bible. Y'all are not waving your Bibles around with me. It's not as much fun when I'm the only one waving my Bible. It's not in the Bible. Guess what else is not in the Bible? The devil's not everywhere all the time. That's God. Again, that's, a, that's an attribute of God. He's omnipresent. He knows everything. He's omniscient. And he is everywhere always. He's omnipresent. The devil is not omnipresent. And that is very good news. He can only be in one place at one time. So that means if he is attacking me at any given moment, he cannot at that moment be attacking any of you or anybody else anywhere in the world. Amen. I'm glad that he is not omnipresent. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. Satan, the devil, it's, he's not. He's not omnipresent. He's limited. It's not in the Bible. It's not in there. You won't find it no matter where you look, even in the maps. I checked. It's nowhere. So we got some myths about the devil we can bust, right? He's not the red guy. He's not everywhere all the time. He doesn't know everything that you're thinking. But what is he? Where did he come from? What's he up to? Great questions. Let's start out talking about who Satan is. Who is this devil? And how did we come to have this guy in our lives in the first place? Check out Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14. This is a passage of Scripture that most scholars believe, at least most of the ones that I'm reading, most scholars that I've encountered believe this passage is describing what happened that created 
the devil, that put him in the position of being the devil. Here it is, verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. That passage describes something kind of dark. Here's this creature, this angel. By the way, some translations say his name is Lucifer. And here we see him as described as the morning star, the sun of the dawn. Lucifer, is it just means a bright and shining one. It's, it's talking about his light. This was a bright angel. He's described also as having jewels encrusting his entire body, every kind of jewel known to man, just totally covering his body. And that he shined so bright that in this translation it says morning star, sun of the dawn. It's also translated day star. So this was a creature so bright, so beautiful, shining so brightly that his light was lighter than that of the day. This beautiful angel, many scholars believe, held a, a, an elevated position in heaven. Some think he might have been a worship leader or, or, or just held a, a chief position, chief among the angels or, or something like that. And here this, this beautiful created being, this gorgeous, powerful angel, has such arrogance as to try to usurp God, to put himself in God's place, to sit on God's throne, to put on God's crown and try to be the king, the creator, the God of the world. He believed he was better suited for this. His beauty, all of these things, this, this wonderful freedom of choice must have gone to his head and created such an arrogant state that he tried to make himself like the most high God. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9 tells us what happened next. Revelation 12, 7 to 9, if you want to turn there. If not, it's up here. It says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels, Michael's the archangel, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. War is raging in heaven. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Ezekiel 28, 17 explains this a little farther. It says, Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. Lucifer, the bright and shining one, so arrogant, so taken of himself, rebelled against God, and he recruited a number of the angels, about a third of them. And they became allied with him. And they went to war with the heavenly angels who were doing God's bidding and following God's plan for them. And, and Lucifer and his group lost. And they were hurled to the earth. And today, 
we know that through Scripture, he is described as the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the ruler of this age, the God of this age, of this world. He has power here. His angelic power is still available to him. He lives on the earth. He stalks about the earth. And his business today, what he's about today, is about division. It's about separation. See, the word Satan, it wasn't always a proper noun. It wasn't always a name. It's a Hebrew word, and it actually means to oppose or to be adversarial. It's a Hebrew word. It can be used as a noun. You know, the, Satan would be somebody who opposed you. It can also be used as a verb. Somebody who is opposing you is, is being satanic. They're, they're blocking you. And it's also now a proper noun, the name given to the devil. Because he opposes God and he opposes you and he works to divide you, to separate you, to blockade you from God. That's what he's about. That's his purpose and what he exists for. After God cast him and the, and the third of the angels that were following him from heaven to earth, he became our adversary. His ultimate goal is our separation from God and God's separation from us because we are created to be in community with God. How does he do it? You know what? Before we even talk about how does he do it, let's talk about something else for a second. What did God do about it? He cast Satan to the earth, and now Satan is there to divide us, to separate us. God, being all-knowing, knew what was coming. God had a plan for that. You know what God's plan for that was? God sent his son, Jesus, because God loves us so much that he didn't want us to be separated, to be divided from him in this life or in eternity. And so God sent his son, Jesus, to rectify that sin situation. Because here's the deal. Satan has had a leg up on all of us since the Garden of Eden. He's had a leg up on you and on me since the Garden of Eden, since he got Adam and Eve to jump off sides. It's a football Sunday. I'm going to play football analogies up here, all right? I can't help myself. I'm excited about a game later this afternoon. My Aggies won yesterday. I'm all footballed up. So we're going to have some football analogies today. Satan would like to get you to jump off sides. He got Adam and Eve to jump off sides. He tempted them with something that looked good, smelled good, sounded good, tasted good, and felt pretty good in the moment. And he got him to jump offside and commit the first sin. And ever since then, we're born into sin. We can't help it. As good as we want to be, try to be, think we are, we're not. We're born into sin. It's a curse that's followed mankind from that time. And because of that curse, God knew we were separated from him, and he sent Jesus to solve that sin situation, to bring us back, to bridge the gap, to put us back on sides, if you will. And so he sent Jesus as our way out of this blockade that the devil puts in front of us. The devil is trying to keep us from finding that way out. See how it works. Whatever God does, the devil tries to counter. He's just a, an adversary, an opposition. How does he do it? Number one, the devil blinds the mind. He blinds the mind of unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. How does he blind our minds? Man, there are so many ways. He uses all kinds of, of uh, uh, um, 
communication and technology, temptation, all these different things to, to keep us from seeing the beauty of God. He creates problems in our world. He makes us think that if there was a God, there, these problems would just have to go away. He, he keeps us from, from seeing the beauty of God's church because God's church is made up of people and people are falling and we mess up and even I'm going to mess up. Probably already have. Might have crossed some of y'all didn't even know it. I don't know. I might have hurt your feelings. And Satan can use things like that to keep you from seeing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way out that God provided. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. The second thing he does, he steals God's word from you. He steals God's word from you. In Matthew, several weeks ago now, we did a series out of Matthew called um, Storytime. And we actually went through this passage. But check it out, Matthew 13, 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. That passage is about sowing seeds, planting seeds. And the gospel is a seed that is planted in a person's heart. And if that person lets that seed take root and grow, it bears fruit, Christ-like fruit. We become followers of Jesus, Christians. When we don't understand the gospel, the, the devil swoops in like birds. And if you've ever thrown grass seed out to try to reseed your lawn in a bear patch, you know, man, those birds will swoop down and they will eat that seed before it can ever take root. That's one of the things that the devil will try to do. He will try to steal God's word from your heart. The third thing, he sets traps. Crafty. He is so crafty. And he will try to set a trap to ensnare you, 2 Timothy 2.26, that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. He trapped Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He kind of lured them in the beautiful tree of, of, of the uh, fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And look at the fruit. Isn't it good-looking fruit? And, and he had them trapped there and, and just kind of talked them through this sin that they committed. The devil desires your destruction. He would like to separate you from God now in this life and in eternity. What about his demons? What are these guys up to? What about those fallen angels that came with him when he was cast from heaven to earth? Well, the demons do their master's bidding. Just like the heavenly angels do God's bidding. They use God's design to do what God calls them to do. These demonic angels use God's design against him. They're warped, they're twisted, they have fallen into the trap of Satan, and they have become warped and twisted like him, and they twist God's design for angels and use them negatively in opposition against you and me. One of the things that they do, they cause suffering. Demons love when we suffer. It's one of the ways they can divide. It's one of the ways they can keep us blinded to the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They get us suffering in this life. Check out Matthew 17. Lord, have mercy on my son, this man said. He, he has seizures and is suffering greatly. And he often falls into the fire or into the water. And then Jesus said to this man who came to him, bring the boy here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. From that moment. This demon had possessed this boy, taken his body, and he 
caused him to do all of these horrible, hurtful, painful, suffering kind of things. He causes suffering. Now remember, I talked in week one, demons are not behind all suffering. They're not behind every bad thing that happens. Sometimes we just do dumb stuff. And when we do dumb stuff, bad consequences normally follow. And God gives us grace and mercy, and sometimes we don't have to face our earthly consequences, and sometimes we do. And sometimes, if you're suffering, it may just be because you did something stupid. And it may not be because there's any kind of devil or demon or anything behind it. You don't have to walk around in fear. There's not a demon behind every bush. But sometimes suffering is caused by the demonic. Second thing that demons can do. Demons deceive. They use God's design for them as messengers to deceive us. Satan, their master, is described as the father of all lies. The father of all lies. He's like the ultimate liar. Before I was a Christian, when I was a, a rebellious teenager, let's call it. <clears throat> Might have started a little earlier than that. Might have lasted a little longer, but we're going to go with that. I was about an excellent liar. Now, I'm not proud of that today. But back then, I could lie my way into or out of just about any situation I wanted to. I, I was great at lying. I was a really good instrument of the enemy. He had made great headway and inroads into my life. I was very far from God during that time. Satan's the father of all lies. He likes to get into our lives and create distance between us and authority. He likes to lie to us, get us to lie to others. He lies to us. His angels, his demons lie to us. They mislead us. Their ministry design is used for a false ministry. John 8.44. Check out what the Bible says. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he's a liar and the father of all lies. In 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. This is false teachers, false prophets, preaching a false gospel, a false truth. They lie, and they will mislead many with their lies. This is what Satan's angels, his demons, are up to in our life. They're trying to destroy us, to divide us by lying and misleading, by causing pain and suffering. They just mess with us. So how do we deal with the demonic? If this spirit world, this supernatural exists right here alongside us, like it could be happening right here and we can't see it, how then do we deal with the darkness of this fallen angel and his army? Well, the first thing I would say is don't deal in darkness. That's how you deal with it. You don't deal in it. There are certain things in this world that were put here by Satan, by demons, to distract us, to disarm us, to draw us off sides. He loves to put these things. Look, check it out. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Let no one be found among you who practices divination or sorcery, who interprets omens or engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who's a medium or a spiritist or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. 
And if you think those things aren't happening, if you think they're not real, if you think all of that palm reading and, and you know, all the uh, speaking with the dead, communing with, with spirits, seances, Ouija boards, if you think that's a bunch of bunk, it's not. It's really happening in our world. And by the way, some major television networks have made TV show, excuse me, shows out of these very things. There's one on right now. I saw a commercial the other day, the Long Island Medium, this fortune-telling lady who consults the dead. Got a television show. Are you kidding me? There's a store in Old Town Louisville, palm reader, crystal ball gazer. That store's been there a long time. Somebody's spending some money. Somebody's participating in these dark and demonic things. And when you do, you open the door and you invite all of that darkness into your life. Devil's not everywhere all the time. His demons aren't everywhere all the time. But if you invite them in, <laughs> they're ready to take up residency. They're ready. Don't deal in darkness. Number two, don't treat the enemy lightly. Don't treat him lightly. This stuff's serious. Jude 9, 10. But even the archangel Michael when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. The archangel Michael, better equipped than any or all of us to deal with this, said, Let the, Lord, said the Lord rebuke you. He didn't make an accusation against the devil himself. He let the Lord rebuke him. Don't take the devil lightly. Don't, don't think you can just kind of brush this stuff off or that you can deal with it on your own. This is not in your strength. This is not in our wheelhouse to deal with this stuff directly. Don't take it lightly. Number three, while we don't take it lightly, we also don't need to fear our enemy. We don't need to fear it. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. There's nothing about the devil to fear if you're a follower of Jesus. Let me say that again. There is nothing about the devil that you should fear if you are a follower of Jesus. You don't have to fear him because he has no authority over you. The devil, when he was dealing with Job, if you know the story of Job from the Old Testament, the devil messed Job's life up, took his family, took his wealth, took his health, took everything to try to get Job to denounce God. Job didn't. That's the good news of that story. The other good news of that story, the devil couldn't do it without permission from God. And God won't grant permission for the devil to come and attack you and bring things against you that God himself isn't prepared to deal with on your behalf. Christians, don't fear the devil. Don't take him lightly. But you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to quake before him and quiver because of him. The last thing we'll talk about today with how we deal with the demonic. We fight unfair. Some of you are processing. Processing, processing. Yes, we fight unfair. But wait, I'm wearing my WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? That doesn't sound like a very Christ-like thing. Fight unfair. Oh my gosh, why would we do that? Jesus, when he dealt with the devil, fought unfair. 
See, we have this thing about fighting fair, especially men. We like to think, we always let the other guy throw the first punch, you know, because we're big and bad and tough, and you know, our egos wouldn't allow us to be the coward that threw the first punch. I don't start fights, I finish fights, you know. We're those kind of people. Now, I don't know about you ladies, but I know a lot of us guys are like that, right? And we think we got to fight fair to keep our chivalry and our honor intact. No, we don't. We don't have to fight fair. You, again, do not fight the enemy on his terms. Let God fight for you. Better said, let God fight through you. Let God fight through you. Check out Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. He gave them authority to drive out evil spirits. James 4, submit yourselves into God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But first, you've got to submit yourselves to God. Matthew Jesus called his disciples and gave them authority. James, submit, resist, and he will flee. I'm not a great math guy, but I can find a little equation out of those verses that tells me how to handle this situation. The situation works like this. I submit to God. Me plus submission, right? I submit to God. God empowers me gives me authority. And then I can resist and the devil will flee. I submit to God. God empowers me. I can then resist in God's power and in his strength and the devil will flee from me. I like that equation. Here's the deal. Talked about this in the Armor of God, a couple of weeks ago. That's only available if you follow step one. Submit. I said a few moments ago, when God saw the sin situation arising, when he knew that we were going to be drawn off sides, tempted that we would sin, be born into sin, he sent his son Jesus to pay that price to reconcile us to him, to give us a way around the blockade of the enemy, a way through the blockade of the enemy, a way over the blockade of the enemy. God did that. He sent his son to pay that price so that we wouldn't have to. The only way that we have access to the armor, the only way that we have access to the authority is through a relationship with Jesus. It's to have Jesus in your heart, the Holy Spirit in your heart. And he only comes and takes residence in your heart on invitation. It requires an invitation. He won't just break in. He's not a breaking and entering kind of God. But if you ask, he's already at the door knocking, the Bible says, just waiting for you to ask him in. I leave you with this question this morning. Knowing that the enemy literally is at the gates, ready to attack. In fact, the Bible says that Satan is like a lion 
stalking about, looking for prey, looking for someone to devour, someone to divide away from God now and for eternity. Knowing that that is real and knowing that you have a way out. You have armament to defend yourself and even to attack with. What would stop you from inviting Jesus into your heart and giving you authority over the enemy so that he will flee from you? Whatever that is that you're thinking about that might stop you from making that invitation, consider the source. Consider the source. Perhaps that thing you're struggling with has been planted there by a very real enemy with a very real purpose of keeping you away from God.